morning and welcome to the Feast of Epiphany, which is celebrated all over the world and sometimes known as Three Kings Day, Twelfth Day, and Little Christmas. And in some places, it can be just as festive as our traditional Christmas. It's typically celebrated on the 6th of January, so we're starting our celebration a little early this year. The scriptures give us very little indication of how many magi were present, but the general consensus is anywhere from 2 to 20, and they most likely had a great entourage with them. The mix-up with the number of magi occurs in the detail of the three gifts. So today we're going to focus on the marvelous way in which Jesus was revealed to these magi. When we think of epiphany, we often think of a moment. In fact, we say, I had an epiphany. We also use phrases like, I finally recognized, I had an awakening, or I suddenly became aware. But in our context here today, when epiphany is mentioned, it is taken from the word epiphania, which means manifestation. In the traditional religious context, specifically in Christian scriptures, it is meant to identify the manifestation of Christ to the Gentiles as represented by the Magi, as found in Matthew 2, verses 1 to 12. The invisible divine made visible. Kendra Holt says, Epiphany reveals that even in his infancy, Jesus Christ is for all humanity, not only for the chosen few. Epiphany highlights the following. Christ revealed through the birth of Jesus and his baptism, the journey of the Magi to bear witness to Christ revealed. These breathtaking events seem so unbelievable to us. Year after year, the church celebrates the birth of Christ and the journey of the Magi by decorating our homes and churches with manger scenes and twinkly lights, that can often lead us to feel so distant from the birth of Messiah, the Word made flesh. Perhaps it makes us feel very far indeed from our own epiphany, our own revelation of Christ personally. We have been gifted with this season of epiphany in order to stop and recognize that it has very little to do with us apart from our own willingness to see how Christ has already revealed himself and welcomed us in. It is less about us and the things we choose to do during this time and more about what has been revealed through Christ's birth. The big reason why we continue to celebrate the church calendar is the fact that we get to be a part of the greater celebration of Epiphany with the church globally. We are in fact invited today to become part of God's story in the world. During the season of Epiphany, we are reminded that God broke through our blindness and became the Word made flesh. We have received hope and grace in the midst of impossible circumstances. So today, we find ourselves in another precarious position of having our senses dulled by the heightened chaos of our present reality. We're not only bombarded by endless streams of information and expert opinions, but are also expected to quickly decide what stance we will take, whose side we'll be on, what side effects we're choosing to live with long term. I find myself several times a week glued to the TV screen to hear the latest update from Dr. Dina and Minister Coping. 
There's rarely anything new reported that Phil hasn't already discovered on Twitter, but still, I'd like to hear it from them. What are the numbers? What does the modeling show? How far are we from disaster? And when will I finally get my at-home testing kits? I'd like to imagine the Magi quickly taking in the information that they're hearing from Herod and weighing it against what they have come to discover, tracking it against Herod's past behavior, and then calculating it against the most plausible outcome. I imagine the Magi had their own methods of modeling, and it's what I imagine the Magi doing every time I hear the passage read from Matthew 2. You can almost envision these men of science and sorcery projecting their best poker face as they compute the most bitter words coming from Herod. I take comfort in a story that presents a heightened level of chaos where stakes are high and morale is low. If you're looking for a story of politics, religion, scandal, senseless violence, and treacherous journey, Epiphany is for you. And then we read in the scriptures, Isaiah 60, verses 1 to 6. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, the darkness cover the earth, and the thick darkness is over the peoples, but the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look about you. All assemble and come to you. Your sons come from afar and your daughters are carried on the arm. Then you will look and be radiant. Your heart will throb and swell with joy. The wealth on the seas will be brought to you. To you the riches of the nations will come. Herds of camels will cover your land young camels of Midian and Ephah, and all from Sheba will come, bearing gold and incense and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. Even in this passage, which is often associated with the Feast of Epiphany, we hear the prophecy of Christ's birth. But in the time Isaiah wrote it, nearly 700 years before the birth of Jesus, the people were languishing from war and exile in Babylon. Isaiah's words weren't welcome quite yet, almost like an alarm that blares after a night of terrible sleep. We're not quite ready to arise and shine. You can hear the people respond. We even hear echoes in this passage pointing to the Magi and the gifts that they brought. We read in verse 3, Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Barbara Brown Taylor reminds us again of God's special favor upon foreigners, outsiders, women, the least expected, and sometimes most unsavory characters to fulfill God's will. The Gospels reference this incredible prophecy that was spoken of in the midst of great darkness and despair. Now, the Magi have discovered this rare and unusual star in the East that not many are familiar with. In fact, not even Herod knew about it. The scriptures say that when the Magi approached Herod with this message, he was disturbed and he wanted to verify what was happening with the religious leaders. They literally quote prophecy back to him, 
Matthew 2, verse 6. For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Now, Herod was quite a legend in his own right, both for his intelligence and wicked rule. A genius in areas of architecture, design, societal advancements, but his emotional intelligence and personal life was tragic. He was a person with strong to very strong sociopathic tendencies, which was evidenced in his psychotic behaviors. The Magi were able to discern the scheming tactics of Herod when he suggested that they report back to him after they had found the Christ child. And they discerned God's leading through a dream and traveled back home in order to safely avoid Herod. How different this story would be if they had chosen to numb themselves from the chaos that surrounded them. Most scholars believe that they were priests of astral worship, which was actually worship of the stars and light as deities, a common practice amongst Babylonians as early as the 8th century BC. Christopher Wright notes, in the physical creation, it was well observed in Israel that some people regarded the heavenly bodies as gods and worshipped them, while others did the same to creatures on the earth, whether non-human, animals, or even fellow human beings. Star gods were, of course, the most powerful deities of the Mesopotamian cultures. It is so critical for us to pause here and recognize how Truly bizarre, the Magi's inclusion into the birth of Jesus was. Not only that, but the fact that the Magi's pursuit of the Messiah was not part of their religious tradition at all. They were not Christian, and they were not Jewish. Most scholars believe that the Magi were likely spiritual priests of rituals and served the prophet Zoroaster, since the Greek term Magi or Magos was a subversive term for someone who was suspicious or made a living from fortune-telling. We can safely assume that the Magi were what we would call a religious other. Barbara Brown Taylor says, in the case of the Persian Magi, their appearance in Bethlehem is as surprising as a delegation of Methodist bishops arriving in Dharamsala to recognize the next incarnation of the Dalai Lama. The Magi were unexpected strangers in the story of Messiah's birth, and their journey was no less unexpected and surprising. God goes to great lengths to involve those whom we may have never even considered as the key players in his story. A virgin mother, a reluctant father, ignorant shepherds, an inhospitable innkeeper, and now sorcerers and magicians. When I think of my own kids and who I wanted around at their second or third birthday party, naturally, it was limited to family and close friends, people who I felt safe with, people on the inside who have the best interest of my kid in mind. There's no way I'm inviting strangers into their celebration, and there's definitely no way I was inviting a bunch of wizards to a celebration for my baby. That would make it weird. And might I add that many of us were raised to avoid magic, fortune-telling, and sorcery, 
This was not exactly the type of spiritual practice our elders envisioned for us. And it was just as much of a no-no today as it would have been at the time of Jesus' birth. The Magi were outsiders. There were plenty of others who would have been a more appropriate choice to celebrate the arrival of Messiah. So let's just pause here once again in amazement at this unique invitation to an entourage of wizards, sorcerers, and magicians to behold the majesty and beauty of a gentle king. Do we not yet recognize our own assumptions as we approach the birth of Messiah? We often fail to notice that we were not yet on the inner circle or the Holy Family's VIP guest list until Christ welcomed us in. As much as I love the stage and pageantry and reenacting the story of Jesus, I think that some of us have played the role of Mary, Joseph, the angels, maybe the shepherds, so many times that we have forgotten that we actually aren't the original players in the nativity. The story of the Magi is so shocking because God leads them to the birth of Messiah through their alternative religion. So think about what this means for you, your neighbors, colleagues, and family members who are on their own journey to find truth. In fact, when we consider the implications of what it means every time we decorate with twinkle lights and construct a manger to display or place a star on top of our Christmas trees, we are actually welcoming those who have yet to encounter Christ revealed. We are reminded during the Feast of Epiphany that there is none too far, none so depraved or misguided that they cannot be welcomed into the celebration of the Savior. Feast implies celebration, and what greater time to celebrate God's great welcome to all than at the start of a new year. We, most of us, are the strangers welcomed in, the Gentiles, the religious others, the ones who could make it awkward, and yet God says, you're welcome here. In fact, you're the guest of honor. So let us pray for the courage to remain steadfast in the midst of the chaos and the discernment to follow Christ, even in the darkness. Let us also remember now our neighbors, our co-workers and family members who are seeking truth on their own terms. May we see Christ revealed throughout our world and make the most of every opportunity to include those who have yet to know your name. And now we give you thanks for by the leading of a star, you have revealed your only son to the world. That in following him, we are led from darkness into his marvelous light. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Peace be with you.